Welcome to the Healthcare IT Today interview series. We feel lucky to be able to talk to so many smart, passionate, and knowledgeable people in healthcare. Now, we're taking our favorite interviews and sharing them with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy perspectives on the world of health IT. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this How Can Healthy Data Fix Healthcare Meetup. We're excited to bring this virtual meetup. Uh, it's unfortunate that we're not all in Orlando where we could uh, actually interact in person, but uh, thanks to the great technology, we can at least have this discussion and bring it to you live virtually. And uh, we're excited for this discussion because it's such an important topic, the, the topic of healthy data and how we can use that to improve healthcare. I'm John Lynn, the founder of Healthcare IT Today, and I'm excited to be the moderator of this panel. We have a, an extraordinary group of individuals in this panel that are going to share a lot of insights and perspectives. So welcome to everyone that's watching live. If you want to participate in the discussion and you're on the GoToWebinar session, certainly you can submit your questions there. And our, our uh, organizer will pull those questions and we'll do our best to incorporate them into the discussion if we can fit them in. If not, we'll certainly look at replying to them afterwards as well. Also, if you're on Twitter, feel free to share the insights, perspectives, ask questions, acknowledge any of the uh, panelists, and just tweet out anything you're learning and even extend that discussion on Twitter and use the hashtag healthy data, which we have nicely placed behind Alex so you can remember along the way or also use the hashtag HITSM which is our health IT community as well so include those hashtags and uh, we look forward to seeing that discussion after the event as well so thanks everyone for joining and we're going to go around and uh, introduce each of our panelists uh, so Alex you want to start us off sure hi I'm Alex McLeod I work for InterSystems and been here for almost two decades sadly um, but I work with our healthcare clients internationally and in the US to kind of see how to apply our products to their data, integrate data within their organization and across and kind of make value of that data. Awesome, great to have you here, Alex. Stacy, you wanna introduce yourself? Hi everyone, I'm Stacy Hurt. I uh, am a patient experience consultant. I worked in healthcare management, physician practice management, pharmaceutical sales training and development for about 20 years. Uh, in that time, my son was diagnosed with a rare chromosome disorder where he unfortunately doesn't walk or talk. So I'm a full-time caregiver to him, as well as I am a stage four colorectal cancer survivor wearing my blue because it's Colon Cancer Awareness Month, March, get screened. And, um, and so now I, speak and consult for companies, adding in a patient perspective to enhance what they're doing to connect more with patients and caregivers. Awesome, great, thanks Stacy. We're excited to hear your patient perspective. Ligia, you wanna go next? It's ladies first, sorry Eric, uh, we're respectful. Don't worry. <laughs> go ahead, Ligia. I'm Ligia Ricciardi. I'm the Chief Transformation Officer at Carium. Carium is a technology and services company that has developed a platform for collaborative health, which connects patients and providers in all the time when they're outside of a clinical encounter. Um, my background prior to Carium, which I've been with for about a year and a half, um, involves a, a long time of fighting to um, strengthen and intensify the patient voice through policy, among other things. I worked at ONC. 
Awesome. And Ligia has an incredible background. She's uh, underselling herself. Go go read her uh, profiles online. She has an extensive background. It's really incredible. Excited to have you here, Ligia. And Eric, go ahead and wrap us up. Sure. Hi, everybody. Eric Wadeen, uh, CEO and co-founder of HBI Solutions. Uh, we're a healthcare analytics company and strong focus on predictive risk modeling and identifying uh, any and all toward untoward events on patients before they happen to get them enrolled into the right uh, care programs uh, proactively is our forte, if you will. Awesome. Great to have you here, Eric. And uh, you guys are doing amazing work at HPI. So excited to learn more about it. So let's kick it off, Alex, really with that kind of opening question. We know there's a lot of data. Data is expanding exponentially. We're collecting all of this data. But how, you know, what is the real value of having healthy data to healthcare? Sure, it's a good question. And I think uh, if we kind of want to define what healthy data is first, right? Uh, yep. Ideally, it'd be accurate records, you know, about a patient. And when I say accurate, I just I don't just mean correct. I mean as complete as possible. So unify and clean information from as many different places as possible, and then making that information accessible, you know, to the patients like Stacy and her son, to you know analytics and other vendor technologies uh, like with Ligia and Eric here, um, to machine learning models, you know, research. Um, so, so there's a lot you need to kind of get do to get that data to that place. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's a lot of technology, connectivity, experience that flows into kind of getting that data as healthy as possible. Awesome. Eric, I mean, I imagine in your work, healthy data really matters. And then maybe we can go to Stacy, who uh, has lived it. So, Eric, you want to share, you know, what's the impact of of healthy data, but also the impact of unhealthy data as well? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think anyone who's dealt with data and analytics and prepping information for the point of doing kind of, you know, advanced analysis or <clears throat> reporting or any type of analytic output, uh, 80 to 90% of the work always gets into data preparation, normalization, integration, and, and getting it to a point where you can actually do these value-added types of analytics. And so, the ability to streamline that, make it uh, quicker, faster, uh, uh, more accurate is going to be a huge benefit. Uh, certainly vendors like us and, and, and similar vendors for sure. And Stacy, how about you? What's your perspective on healthy data? Uh, you know, as a patient, especially our decision making is only as good as the data that we have. And we rely entirely on accurate pathology reports, uh, blood tests, scans, and especially, like I said, as a cancer survivor, a scan dictates everything. And what that report from that radiologist says, you know, that determines our next course of action. And for many of my, you know, fellow survivors, determines whether they plan a vacation in six months. So, um, I just, you know, for example, I talked to a neuroendocrine cancer survivor this morning who had an incorrect grade of his tumor on his pathology report, and it changed. He was, it was, he was on the wrong protocol of drugs. So here he was enduring all of these awful side effects and toxicities from an incorrect protocol for an incorrect piece of data in his path report. Um, and he had to suffer through all that until he had the right 
piece of information in, in his report. So, you know, from the patient perspective, it determines quality of life. It quite frankly determines life or death. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I think we often downplay the quality of life things, at least I do, I, I know for myself, uh, but there's, uh, there are those uh, very significant impacts to individuals. But Gio, you know, you come from a very consumer patient perspective as well. What can we do to really ensure that patient data is healthy? So um, I wanted to make a couple comments first about just the value of data. I might, and I think at a super high level, whether you're a patient or a provider or an analyst or someone in public health, with data, you're no longer flying blind. You have this other dimension of knowledge and information that allows you to make more informed decisions, one hopes. And when I think about healthy data generally, I think it's a combination of often the traditional health data that is perhaps now mostly in EHR records, um, but it, it's also important to think about um, pulling data from kind of real time, real life. And that's something that is increasingly being pulled into the health system. And kind of the value of both of those things is not just diagnostic or helping with treatment, but it's also in prevention and ultimately going back to that patient perspective, helping you as a patient to learn behaviors so that you can help avoid some issues. Um, in terms of ensuring that it is healthy, I think one answer to that, we could all go on, but, um, and if you mean by healthy, kind of accurate, complete, the right person, that kind of thing. One amazing resource that has been traditionally underused, of course, is the patients themselves. So if we have more of an opportunity to look at our own information about us that others may hold, not that we'll necessarily know everything about it, but we may be able to spot things that are obviously wrong. So harnessing, patient's input on the data as well as the perspective of, of others is another is one way to ensure that data is actually healthy in the sense of correct and high quality. Yeah, I, and I, I imagine Eric and Alex would love to have the patients more involved in the data. Go ahead, Stacey. No, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I just so appreciate what Ligia said because it what this patient I spoke of it was because he had access to his records and he could review his reports that he caught that incorrect grading of his tumor and had to circle back to his uh, healthcare team to correct it and correct his whole treatment protocol. So I just, again, I appreciate uh, what you said, Ligia, about patients having access and being able to read their own data. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's extremely powerful, and you know, we just had the latest Cures Act legislation, which will hopefully push that forward in big ways. But I imagine Alex and Eric have faced the other issue, which is many patients don't access their data and don't verify their data. So, you know, are there what other techniques can we use when patients maybe choose not to verify their data because? They're dealing with their chronic condition rather than trying to figure out how the doctor documented incorrectly. Uh, what other techniques are you guys seeing that are effective in ensuring data is healthy? Eric or yeah, Alex, you want to start? Sure. Uh, and just to hook into the patient a little bit, um, because obviously I'm a pretty healthy person, right? And I have just four patient portals by myself that I'm using. Uh, mm -hmm. to verify information and it's all duplicated and it's incorrect in places you know and then often you don't have the chance to kind of report any corrections like through that automated system as Stacy said you have yeah. to kind of pick up 
phone to get that corrected. So there's a lot going on, and sometimes it's overwhelming even for people who don't have chronic diseases or who are yeah, IT savvy. Fine. Yeah. So the patient is certainly one. I think like Gio also brought up a good point of, you know, beyond the EHR, you know, bringing other types of data. So we, you know, nowadays we have claims data, we have social determinants of health, which often play a big role. Um, we have generated data from devices, you know, so as much as you can get from these different sources, wherever those are located to kind of make the picture more complete. And we can talk about what the challenges with that are in a little bit, but, um, you know, as many sources as you can get your hands on uh, to, to kind of unify that information and decide how to clean it up, I think that's that's going to be key. I think that is the core question, right? And maybe Eric can to hop in on that too or transition to it is, are more sources better for creating healthier data or are more sources just adding more complexity and more noise to the data that you really need? Go ahead, Eric. Yeah, the short answer is yes, but I'll expand on that. Right? So it does both. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you can get, it, it gets back to the high qualityness of the data. I think uh, you know there's more and more data sources coming in, and uh, the ability to harness that information certainly can be helpful, uh, but it requires you know thought and rigor around what are you trying to affect as an endpoint. And then work backwards from that to kind of link together the right information sets to get you to that point, whether it's for personal reasons or family reasons or just for analytical reasons. I think all that uh, is necessary. And so having a structured process and approach uh, is important as you think about taking in these uh, different data sets, because it's like any new technology or any new uh, module or new whatever, you know, it's not a magic silver bullet for everything, right? So it needs to be thoughtfully uh, integrated into kind of existing processes to make it work uh, systematically to get the right outcome. So do you have a process? You know, what, what's your process when you're looking at integrating outside data sources to make sure that you trust it, that it's quality data? What's your approach? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So, I mean, we have a very, you know, we have a specific application and a specific product and we have, uh, very specific uh, data integrity rules and data quality rules that we look at as we ingest information into uh, our application to light up the different modules that we we put out there for our care teams and what we've done and learned over time is we advance as much of that upfront almost pre-contracting process to see if an organization is ready to actually uh, work with us in order to get the benefit that they intend to give. And that could include different data sets, but I think I just wanted to highlight that we're upfronting data quality processes even before we get into contracting, because that can just spiral wow. uh, continuously uh, the wrong way and delay not only implementations, but the ability to deliver value to the clients. Uh, and in terms of as new data sets come in, I think we look at, you know, it's important the ability to link that to the patient. If you're thinking about and examples of this are things we use like what we call community social determinants, which are zip code level uh, markers for income, education, literacy, uh, proximity to physicians and so forth. You know, the ability to link information to patients uh, uh, is important because sometimes we've seen data sets come in that are not linkable and then therefore almost not analyzable. So those are important mm -hmm. factors that we think through and look through. That's the great. other thing. The other thing that we see a lot as we're integrating more and more sources is often it's kind of a 
you know, one-to-one -one copy transactional based, you know, uh, we're duplicating data more than we're hoping. And it's a lot of unstructured data, you know, so if I'm piling on more and more PDF documents that a clinician has to then wade through, that's not really helpful. You know, so how, how do we weed through this? And we're moving now with fire and, and, and such, we're moving more into an on-demand real time, you know, pull the data as I need it in a structured way. And then, you know, ideally parse through those documents somehow to add, add meaning on top of what we have in a structured format already. So I think, you know, there, there is a way to do it, but it's, it's definitely a lot of noise, as you said, of, you know, just pushing that data from one place to another. Yeah, in our previous discussion, we talked about machine learning and AI in order to analyze what data really matters as much as it is to do the diagnosis. Or, or any of those things. Idea? you have any That's other thoughts? I was going to make that ultimately, I think at the highest level, part of what you're trying to do with data is find patterns, which are going to be useful to patients, to providers, public health, researchers, et cetera. And so, um, of course, Alex's point about having that data structured is incredibly important because a whole lot of PDFs, better than nothing, I guess, but not really all that useful. But once you can have data structured to the point at which you can see patterns that are outliers, whether good or bad, this patient seems to be just super unusual, or this region seems to be super unusual, then you can step in and say, okay, is this telling me something of consequence that I need to react to, or is it just bad quality data? And it, in either case, hopefully you can either learn something that's immediately useful or remedy a situation that could have been problematic later. That's great. I th you know, I'm still thinking back to what Alex said about having multiple portals too. I imagine Stacy's faced that. Uh, so I heard one person uh, tweet that uh, the Cures Act is the death to the individual portal, uh, which I, that may be a little overstated, but uh, I, I think that might be a good outcome if all the data would could be aggregated for a patient. Well, what's been your experience, Stacy, trying to aggregate this data? for yourself since the, you know, uh, the many, most of the organizations aren't doing it for you. I mean, the whole time that Alex, you're talking about, you know, pulling the data together and then Ligia jumped on, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, how does a patient interpret it? You know, so I'm right here, you know, at the end user level. And, um, you know, um, I, you I know, say this all the time that, you know, I have a, a background, my education's in healthcare management, my experience, and, and here I am struggling. What does everybody else do? You know, what what is everybody else doing? Um, again, you know, Eric, you touched on um, barriers of uh, literacy and uh, demographic uh, social determinants of health. Um, so those patients are up against tremendous, you know, barriers to interpretation of the information. So we have to think about that. Um, so, you know, like I said, all I can think about is, and I don't know if this answers your question, John, is so all this data, who is holding the patient's hand to interpret it? And, you know, and then as a patient, as we see these patterns, what does that mean for us? You know, what does that mean for our treatment protocol? What does that mean for next steps in battling a certain disease? So that's just, uh, again, you know, I don't know if that answers what you're saying but uh it's it's very difficult it is very difficult for patients to navigate through all this i hear it every single day that they don't know 
where to go, how do, what do I do now? I talk about all the time, you know, patients want second opinions. This whole business of burning a scan to a disc and literally handpicking up a disc to take it to another hospital and paper copying reports. What year are we living in? 1952? I mean, we can do better. <laughs> we need to do better for patients. You know, it's and then we lose patients because of the paper chase and, and patients die. So we need to do better for patients. And it does feel like there's two conversations happening here, though, and they both have unique challenges. But at the core, it's still the idea of healthy data. One is how do you push all of the data to the patient so they have what they need and to the provider of that patient so they have what they need in the moment. But then there's also kind of this higher level, which I think maybe Eric works on more in his organization, which is, okay, how about this population? And looking across this population, how do we ensure that that data is healthy so that we can analyze that data and identify this 10% that we can really make an impact for? You know, they, they both suffer from the problem of data that's inaccurate or that's not comprehensive, but it feels like, you know, those might be addressed differently. Any thoughts, Eric? Yeah, I don't know. They, they're different purposes, but I don't know how dissimilar uh, the need for the healthy data uh, is for uh, either of those uh, circumstances. So this past year, both of my uh, parents had serious health events. I wanted to pull second opinions for both of them, and I got the burn CD. Uh, and there was, but they had to work with the PCP, the specialist, the surgeon, Kind of in both cases and so there's just inherent fragmentation in our healthcare system still which leads to fragmented uh data which rears its head both at the personal level but also even at the population level uh, these are very similar inputs and then the work of intersystems with their interoperability technology to take these disparate sources into a single platform you know is all you know theoretically going to lead to a a better place of uh better and easily accessible data, both for the person level, but also for population health analytics. There's more work to do. I think the work is the same for both purposes, and uh, there's no shortage of improvements to be had given where we are today. It's still still a fragmented environment. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with Eric. I think the pipeline kind of stays the same of us, you know, aggregating that data, cleaning it up, and then serving it up for different purposes, right? So the provider wants one specific view, and maybe they don't want to see all the data either. Maybe they want a disease-specific view, you know, because they aren't interested that I broke my leg when I was three years old or something like that. The patient needs that educational component around the data so that they know what to do with it. And none of this is ever going to be completely automated, but, you know, whatever we can add to that. And then obviously Eric and the companies like that with analytics and machine learning need a whole different view, but it's that same, you know, individual patient records just sliced together across the population. So I think that, you know, the groundwork is the same for all use cases. Great. Well, it's interesting when you describe it, though, as like having this, you know, a pipe of all the data. Uh, I think that, you know, in aggregating all the data down to one location, you know, when I, I hear patients hear that, they in one set breath say, wow, that would be amazing. And then in the next breath, they say, wait, do I want that with all my data? Is it going to be secure? Is, you know, so there's this whole, you know, 
always combative uh, privacy versus the other. Uh, Ligeia, what are your thoughts on this and how, in ensuring it's secure? So, okay, I totally want to talk about privacy, but just for a second, John, I want to reflect on your comments about kind of this um, sometimes um, ambivalence that I've heard from both providers and patients about, I want more data, but wait, that's too much. It's going to kill me. I think yeah, that that's true too. <laughs> I think on the one hand, um, you know, I, I think of them as sort of, I don't think of it as a complete trade-off. Like if we let the data go, will there be too much of it? I think step one is sort of let's get data flowing. Mm -hmm. And once it's out, and I, I have to say again, this is such a momentous week since those ONC CMS rules came out that support API access to data by patients and others that's going to help data flow. That's a separate problem, I think, from how are we going to make sure we apply it usefully for all the different folks who need access to it. And you've got to get it flowing before you can even address those issues. And there are many of us here and in other places who work on that sort of packaging the data so it's incredibly you know, useful at the point of care, because not everybody wants just you know, a complete data dump that's not very useful. It's figuring out what's effective and how can you present it in a useful way to the person at the point of need, whatever that person may be. Um, but John also brought up another incredibly important point, which is the privacy and security issues. And my hope is, I think from a policy perspective, again, we've made some massive, massive progress in the last few days as a country in moving forward with policies that get data out. But I think the area where we're weakest still from a policy perspective is in protecting privacy. And that's largely because HIPAA is the main source of protection for many, you know, most health data, but it doesn't, it doesn't really translate into the modern world in a variety of ways. It only certain covers certain types of entities that don't include many of the entities that are actually using health data. So we need some sort of an update and I don't think it's necessarily just updating HIPAA itself. It, I think it's probably a more comprehensive approach to privacy that um, perhaps doesn't even distinguish exactly between health and non-health data, because for myself, I find that a very fuzzy line. It's pretty clear that the data that has traditionally been in EHRs or that is from devices, certain types of medical devices as health data, but there's so much else back to the social determinants of health point, point that also impacts our data. So, and that could have potential privacy risks associated with the wrong people having access to it. So I think we need to address privacy um, policies generally in the short term as independent entities, if we're associated with different companies or as a consultant, Stacy, as a patient, I think some of us can um, proactively write our own policies and map out our own principles for what we think is appropriate and not starting from scratch there are models out there that we can use um like fair information practices for example but I've heard, uh, that's I've heard strong predictions that there will be some sort of legislation around privacy of consumer data, which will include health data, uh, you know, from a, a lot of politicians. Although the only question is, will coronavirus hijack that discussion? I don't know, but uh, it's interesting. But, you know, your point about too much data is really interesting and really ask the question, is there such a thing as too much data? And it sounds like your answer was, 
yes, there's too much data if it's presented the wrong way. But if it's presented the right way, then there's never enough data. <laughs> what do you? What's your perspective, Stacey? And maybe Lygia wants to comment too. If if that was a apt for uh, description of what you said. <laughs> point it's like i'm not gonna be like oh there's too much data on the internet shut it down or you know figure out how you're going to make sense of the data that you want and that you think is high quality healthy data and think about it in different contexts but don't be overwhelmed by volume alone particularly since the volume of health data and all data is increasing incredibly rapidly and we've crossed that bridge like you can't turn it off uh, Do you see any thoughts yeah. on too much data and privacy? Well, I, you know, we have seen such a shift in uh, the, the paradigm of the physician-patient relationship because of the internet, right? So you have a much more savvy, informed patient that the first thing when they get a diagnosis, where do they go? Dr. Google, okay? So you have patients going to the internet, actively researching their condition, and there's again a lot of noise and a lot of misinformation that they are sorting through there as they're combing the internet then they take all of that noisy whatever data to their doctor what about this what about that what about this you know and then the doctor has to tack on 20 more minutes to his or her visit to go through all of this misinformation and all that to get to what he or she wants to uh you know deliver as a as a protocol of care so um, I think the reality is it, it is what it is, that the data that's out there on the internet, it's a lot, it's going to keep coming. Patients are trying to figure out, you know, sort the good from the bad. Physicians are trying to sort out what's the good or the bad. And, um, and, and that's, you know, that's our challenge. And that's how we have to work together to, to again, to help these patients disseminate, you know, what is usable and, and what isn't. Um, I, I had also, I have to comment on the privacy uh, thing real quick. Uh, you know, in the work that I do as an advocate, uh, I, I have patients that are in very critical situations that, you know, they, these are life or death decisions. And when they start sending me their data for second opinions and for help, am I surgical, am I treatable? I will tell you, Without a doubt, privacy is the last thing on their mind. They need their life saved. And like I said, I have records show up on my porch all the time. And not once did that patient say to me, I'm worried about my privacy. They're worried about living another day. And so, um, you know, I, I think that when we, we feel sort of threatened or, you know, questioned, we're worried about privacy, but when we need an actionable outcome, it's not that big of a priority. Um, so uh, again, you know, how do we balance that? I don't know. Certainly, I want to protect everybody in every way that uh, that I can. But but I just know that that priority becomes lower when their life's on the line. Thank you for sharing that. That's a that's a great perspective. So Eric and Alex, why don't you chime in as well on? Uh, what are you doing to help people like Stacy, but also providers, uh, even uh, healthcare organizations, to make sense of all this data? Maybe you want to start, Alex, and then Eric. Sure. Uh, 
I mean, from our side, you know, and obviously we're looking with our products, we're looking at presenting that data to all kinds of different end users or, you know, technology vendors. Um, but we're really trying to focus on the role that person is in, you know, what are they most interested in? So if I'm a cardiologist, you know, what what is the data set or the subset that I'm interested in? Or if I am a care manager and I'm specifically looking at, you know, patients in my diabetes program, what am I looking at? Uh, and we try to serve and filter the information up that way. We actually had a, a customer tell us once, and he was a clinician, he said, I'm trying to look for a needle in a haystack and you IT people keep giving me more hay. You know, so we try to listen to that and really surface up what is interesting to that person at that point. It's not always easy. There's more There's more work we need to do, but we try to look at it from the perspective of what role are you are you in and what's most important to you. Yeah, it's interesting. If is it your job or is it the client's job? I mean, there's an interesting balancing act and and really a dance between the two of you of, you know, should you do it? Should the client, should both of you collaborate? Uh, that, that's an interesting challenge. And it's Eric? a balance too, because you never want to, sorry, you never want to leave out information that might be necessary for them to make a clinical yeah. decision. Because God forbid, you know, uh, something yeah. happens because we we filtered out some data that was important. So it's a, it's a very delicate balance. For sure. Go ahead, Eric. Yeah, no, it's an, it's uh, not a conundrum, but it's, you know, it's a balance between both because you need, the information needs to flow both from an analytic level, but also at the patient level. And so I understand that. And so getting back to my parents who had the health events, because I pulled the electronic medical records, I was able to find a medication conflict between the specialist and the PCP that wasn't picked up by the surgeon, right? So just asking for that information and getting it, it wasn't in any single electronic health record. So you, you have to let the information flow. But then there's the design and art around presenting the right information to the right person to do the right job, right? And that's, you know, got to be purpose-built kind of information and analytics. And us as a company, we're working through that. We, you know, we create risk models and we don't, as a company, we don't present these directly to the patient uh, today, but our partners do. And the clinician will have that conversation with the patient around, here's your risk and here's what you ought to do about those. Uh, and so we don't do that directly, but we are working with, we're able to take right now lab results. And then, so if you get a standard uh, panel done, uh, we can prevent, we can predict risks just off of that standard panel for things like uh, metabolic diseases or cardiac diseases and so forth. And then we're working through the lab report people to say, okay, if these are the standard lab results. And then we can also present an analytic result that'll be signed off by the uh, lab director of uh, our, our laboratory partner. Uh, that'll go right to the consumer as well. And we think, you know, we've gone through specific designs to kind of present that information in a way that'll be meaningful to the patient to augment their kind of lab results. And so, uh, and that's a purpose-built augmented information for the lab test. And so I think there's, you know, ways, design, and thoughtfulness about how to present any type of information to the right person for the right action. Excellent. So let's shift gears a little uh, to one of my favorite questions, because uh, I love to get your unique perspectives. I call it the magic wand question. So imagine you had a magic wand and you could have anything you want, right? <laughs> but, you know, in this case, we're going to talk about like if you had a magic wand, right? You could change one thing to kind of 
unbind all the all the data in healthcare and whether that's either make it cleaner or whether that's just getting access to the flow of it what would you want and let's you know maybe go around the horn on this one uh, we can go the same in, the same uh, order as we did intro so alex maybe you can start what one thing would you love to see change to kind of unbind uh healthcare data it, I think it gets back to what we just discussed a few minutes ago. But for me, the technical is actually usually not a challenge. For me, the biggest challenge I see is the legal challenge of data sharing agreements, you know, lack of incentives for interoperability. So people or organizations will share their data, but it's, you know, number 43 on the list or something behind patient experience, which don't get me wrong, obviously very important. Um, but it's very hard to, from a privacy security standpoint or the governance standpoint to get that data. Uh, technically, it's way easier than that. Interesting. And so it sounds like it's also a prioritization issue, not even so much a bureaucracy issue or that they're against it. Fascinating. Thanks, Alex. And as like Gia said, I think, you know, with this week's new rules being published, we're taking a big step. Um, but there's there's definitely more work to be done. Fingers crossed, right? <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Stacy, what about you? What what would you do to what would what would help you and your family? My well, you know, I'm 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 very fortunate. Um, I'm doing well. So when I think about helping patients, mine is no secret, and it just gets back to what I said. I would definitely have all of the EHR companies talk to each other so that we can just seamlessly transmit a scan from this health system to this health system from a rural health system in you know nowhere North Dakota to an NCI cancer center to MD Anderson in Texas for a patient to get a second opinion for a surgeon down there to look at it and say yes I can get those tumors out of there and save your life and maybe technology that wasn't available in North Dakota is available at MD Anderson to save that patient's life. And it's because, again, those scans can be easily transmitted from wherever that health system is down there for that surgeon to look at, and we have a decision within 24 hours to save that patient's life. That would mean everything to me, and that would mean a whole lot to a lot of people I represent. That's awesome. I think along with that, you need the trusted relationship and you also, you may need some AI or some other things to sort through that for the doctor at MD Anderson who's stressed as well, but uh, that would be a step in the right direction. Thanks, Stacey. Ligia? So if I had a magic wand and I could only change one thing, I would change financial incentives. Underlying financial incentives are, I think, what's going to power that vision that Stacy just laid out of having the data flow. There are often discussions about how there are technology challenges, standards, interoper interoperability issues, privacy challenges. I'm not saying those aren't real, particularly the privacy ones are daunting and incredibly important, but I believe that all of those things will be much more likely to be worked out if we have financial incentives in which um, healthcare providers are have incentives, as patients do, to uh, move toward healthier outcomes. And I think that we'll have to share data if we want patients to be healthy, because we ultimately, and that includes sharing data with patients themselves, because so much of health is shaped by behaviors and choices that patients make. So 
aligning or realigning those financial incentives more toward a value-based type of world. And I know we're still figuring out as a nation exactly what that looks like, but less fee-for-service, more value-based and shared alignment between providers and patients and ideally um, EHR vendors as well, although I'm not sure how to do that one, but let's let's at least start getting the alignment for healthcare providers consistent with that of, of you know, uh, patients and ultimately us as a country. Yeah, my view has always been that way is that if you align the financial incentives, the EHR vendors will come along because their clients, the healthcare organizations will require it. So, it, you know, it makes it easier for them if they're aligned. Thanks, Ligia. Eric? Yeah, I'm going to piggyback a little bit off of uh, Ligia's comments. And so, I, you know, I think there's uh, there's multiple systems, there's multiple healthcare systems that we have in the country today, and that leads to multiple uh, data systems to provide the right information uh, for those different health systems that are in purpose, right? And so if we can move to more of a, you know, a more single standard way to deliver healthcare, then the systems and data will follow that. And I think that's the place we got to get to. And I think that includes, you know, there's an immense amount of work to get a bill out the door and get a bill paid and to figure out if that bill got paid or not, right? And there's so much work and money, time, money, and resources spent on that, that's not actually delivering healthcare, right, or, or clinical care to the patients. I think if we can keep the incentives aligned to lower that administrative burden and keep more of the costs that we're uh, putting in place to care is going to be a better place for us as a country. Great. Thanks, Eric. Thanks to all of you. And uh, unfortunately, we're, we're headed to the end of this, but uh, I want to give uh, Alex as our host. Uh, you know, InterSystems has been a great host for this uh, discussion. So want to kind of wrap us up and maybe give a little summary of, uh, of uh, what we need to think about when it comes to healthy data and fixing healthcare. Sure. And I really appreciate everyone's unique kind of angle on this. So I, I think we discussed, you know, we have a wealth of data out there, um, but how do we get it shared, get it aggregated, and then make it accessible in such a way that it's useful to the different people who need to use it, whether that's the provider or the patient or, you know, research or predictive analytics or whatever that is. And there's certainly, think, it sounded like we all agreed kind of, uh, you know, in general, what the magic wand should do, uh, and that's <laughs> get more access to that data. And then we, we can work on making sense of that with technology and experience that we have. But I, I think it's out there. We just need to get our hands on it. Yeah, I think we are aligned in, in a lot of ways. I was also impressed that at the end of the day, we all want more data done accurately using technology to facilitate access to the right data at the right place at the right time. So I think that's the dream and hopefully we help share some ideas that will improve that for other people. And thanks everyone on, on the panel and also thanks for everyone who watched live. We will have a recording of this that will be made available. We'll email you all the details where you can watch it on YouTube, on GoToWebinar. You can also check it out at healthcareitdata.com where we'll post it and obviously InterSystems will share it out on social media and through their channels as well. So thanks again to everyone that joined and thanks to our panels, Alex, Stacy, Ligia, Eric, thanks so much and we'll see you guys later.